You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Right. Thank you, Andrew, for leading us, and thank you, church, for singing, for being committed to um, <coughs> the enterprise of singing, um, as it's good for you um, to sing specifically. Um, you're supposed to sing with thanksgiving in your hearts. You know, we don't have a ton of New Testament instruction about singing, but the very little that we do, all of it seems to be saying the same thing, and that is that uh, it's supposed to be with gladness in your heart. Right? And so these songs certainly cause us to do that. Okay, so uh, today's sermon, First Peter chapter 4, verse 1, dead to sin and the sufferings of Christ. Dead to sin and the sufferings of Christ. First um, Peter chapter 4, verse 1. I don't know if it's manifestly clear to you yet or not, but if uh, you have seen, hopefully in the text, you would have hewed in on the fact that we are going to be challenging your way of thinking today. That's that's exactly what we're doing. We are uh, we're going to be calling that into check. And it doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been a Christian. <coughs> um Today, uh, it's clear that uh, all of us are, are, are going to be sort of confronted with this idea of arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, right? Uh, and of course, the command comes in that uh, it's it's combative in nature. This Christian life is, and there is also a way uh, of thinking that's not armed with the truth, of this particular truth um, of Christ's suffering. I think probably what we'll find um, more than anything is that there are two ways of thinking uh, from a Christian worldview. There's a way of thinking uh, sort of bent towards Christ, biblical worldview, you looking at the world and your suffering uh, and your the scope of your entire life through the lens of Jesus, his gospel, and a suffering, and then just your own way of doing things, your own way of thinking. I was born this way. Uh, I was sort of raised a Christian, but largely some of us are without a Christian worldview. We don't. Our, our, our way of thinking, quite frankly, just to be honest with you, needs to be challenged. It, it, it needs to be challenged because, as you'll find, um, our way of thinking absolutely drives the course of our life. It absolutely does. The way that you think about everything, uh, everything that you've thought about here for two, from the time that you got up to the time that you got here, is driven by your worldview. Um, and of course, when we put up our our way of thinking up against Jesus' way of thinking, uh, man, there is, in, in my life, I, I, I will tell you, and I, I think you'll find in yours, there's a, there's a, a lot of room for repentance in my life. Um where I'm just not thinking correctly about the sufferings of Christ. And I'm definitely not thinking correctly about my suffering. Um, and then, of course, how does all of that play into a life of sin? And then, of course, we've got to, <coughs> we've got to talk about sin. We've got to talk about what it is and what it isn't. Uh, of course, you, you, you can't cease from sin if you don't know what it is. But we've got to talk about sin, and is, is that part of your thinking? Do you order your life uh, 
with that in mind, is that something that, that, that you have there, right? So this is a, a verse that um, in some ways is difficult to understand because there are several different meanings that it could have, but it's also chalked full of meaning, hence uh, our focused treatment of today, which is one verse by itself. So uh, here we are, uh, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Again, uh, these are the words of God. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, and that word flesh there just means in his own humanity, okay? Uh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Christ had a particular way of thinking about his suffering and about his life. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And of course, that's the big part that's sort of a bit of a mystery that we've got to figure out. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you. Uh, we um, are in great need of your help <clears throat> this morning, God, and we thank you that we uh, are a people with a different way of thinking, a different worldview, uh, a different starting point. Our means and our end, all of them, are different. And so I pray that you would give us clarity uh, of thought that you would use these words, God, as a mirror uh, to show us who we are, that you would bring great security uh, to those who are uh, burdened uh, down and comfort to them as well, God. And at the same time that you would do the, uh, the paradoxical work of, of conviction in our lives simultaneously, that you would break down and build up um, through your word, that you would give us all that we need this morning for uh, life with you and a life that represents you well. Um, so God, we pray that as we are, learn more about living with the hope in us uh, in a hostile world, that you would give us grace to hear. Um, God, my prayer specifically for each and every one of our people, myself included, is that we would not pivot this application onto anyone else, but that we would see ourselves um, in it and the need for transformation uh, in our own lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> dead, uh, dead to sin and the sufferings of Christ. So, first first things first in terms of the introduction. Uh, the question begs, what is the relationship or the correlation between the suffering of Christ and ceasing from sin in this verse? What does it mean, right? Um, and and I, I think there's a couple of different things that it could mean. Uh, and uh, I don't think that it's absolutely critical to our Christian worldview that uh, if we necessarily get it wrong, it, it, it's, it's very clear to me that it's not super clear, um, but it could be one of two things. Number one, it could have been, uh, it could be that when it's talking about suffering, because you have suffered, uh, he who has suffered, let him cease from, he has ceased from sinning. It could be spiritual. It, it could be spiritual suffering, meaning when we baptized sort of Colin and, and Tariq and Scarlett, right, we said um, buried with him in baptism, right? So that kind of suffering, so the sufferings of Christ, you've died to your flesh, raised to walk in newness of life. When we say suffering, we could mean spiritual. So your flesh has died. The word flesh doesn't just mean humanity, as it meant earlier in the verse. With Jesus, it can also mean sinful heart, which I've taught you time and time again. And so the idea is that uh, for whoever has suffered in the flesh with Christ spiritually 
has ceased from sin. So it's more theological, theoretical, uh, in, in terms, it's almost positional, right? More than practical, that he in fact is dead to sin. He, has, he is now slave to righteousness, right? And then there's a second meaning. And the second meaning uh, is that when it says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, uh, means that uh, in, <clears throat> because, and if you read the context, I think this maybe makes more sense too, <clears throat> um, there, there are people who are suffering uh, because they're not partaking in the sins that they used to. And as a result of them not sinning, uh, they actually suffer. And I would just apply directly to you, if I could, that if you choose to live a life of obedience, if you choose to live a life of righteousness, uh, that you are going to suffer, period. Uh, you're going to suffer socially. You're going to suffer, uh, certainly. Uh, you're going to suffer maybe vocationally. Actually, you may be ostracized. Uh, your call to not sin may require many of your friendships, many of your relationships. Uh, I, I don't know necessarily what that that suffering is, but basically what the second meaning could be is since it's not maybe, if, if it's not theoretical, and I'm not willing to say hard and fast either way that it's not, is that basically this is it. Your commitment to suffer for Christ has shown uh, also your commitment and the work of Christ for you to stop sinning. Does that make sense? So, so your, your willingness, your willingness and your commitment, your decision, right? Um, and all of the Calvinists in the room groan, and it's so true um, that it is, in fact, uh, decisions that you and I make in the flesh, right? Um, that as a result of that commitment to, to, to say no, right? No to sin. And as a, as a result of you saying, hey, no, you know, I, I'm willing to suffer, then you have also ceased from sinning. Uh, that may be very, 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 very muddy waters, uh, and the goal, of course, <coughs> of the next few minutes is to clear the mud up. Okay, so um, notice that just a few verses ago in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and you're going to want to write that reference down if you're taking notes, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 I'll warn you today, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture, um, trying to sort of bounce off uh, both Paul's theology and Peter's theology to figure out, are they thinking the same way about suffering and sin um, in, in their worldviews and in their lives? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. This is just two weeks ago. Uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God uh, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Excuse me. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. You can write that down too. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer... Uh, be enslaved to sin, right? <clears throat> Basically, with Jesus' crucifixion, the body that keeps uh, sinning has been brought to no effect, right? Uh, and uh, that you and I are constantly 
in both justification and sanctification, being set free from the penalty and the power of sin, right? Justification is about you being set free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is about you being set free from the power of sin. Glorification, or that final, the final salvation of the body, is about you being set free from the presence of sin. It's just gone altogether, right? Um, but this verse is not talking about the fact that when we say you're ceasing from sinning, that you're actually ceasing from sinning, right? Uh, altogether. It's just not possible, unless, of course, you believe in perfect sanctification, which I do not. I have a very low view of man, a very high view of Scripture, a very high view of God, uh, and a very high view of sin, right? And as a result, it's perfect sanctification or perfect obedience, which two or three denominations in Protestantism believe, it's just not achievable for me. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't exist, right? Selfishness is too great um, for that uh, to happen. And of course, uh, the immediate context uh, of 1 Peter chapter 2 is very important as well. We encourage you to write that reference down in your notes if you're taking notes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, listen how closely this sounds to our verse, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Um, so, um, in order to better understand the verse, we need to unpack sort of the concept. So let's let's do that. First of all, <coughs> what is sin? I think that's probably what we need to start with. Um, what is sin? And, 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 and maybe you're thinking, well, this is far too elementary. And I, I would just say no. I, I would say that sin and the enemy and the garden and the human flesh, uh, if you think that sort of you've gotten over uh, the nature of sin and that the enemy is not crafty um, and that you're not in constant need of reminder exactly what sin is in your life and what our flesh can justify sin and what's not, I would say you're spiritually naive um, because we know that the enemy is and was the most crafty, shrewd uh, creature of them all, right? And, and not just that, he's not the only one that's crafty and, and shrewd. My wicked heart will justify just about anything. Uh, or, or, or sort of place and position itself uh, rationally to to justify things that that are wrong, right? So what is sin? Um, sin, uh, which uh, I think there's several places. That, <coughs> first of all, we could look. Let me let me do this. Get this down. Uh, sin is, according to our catechism. Um, my phone won't die. I've got like 2% left. We just pray that it won't die. Okay, here we go. Uh, part 1, Q16 of your catechism. Parents, you want to write this down. This will be a really good follow-up for you this week to sort of, how do we not forget what we talked about today? And go to Q16, the question is, what is sin? And Q17, what is idolatry? To kind of follow up what that looks like, okay? Q16, uh, what is sin? And there's also songs that um, go along with it. What is sin? Q16, uh, New City Catechism. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created 
not being or doing what he requires in his law. Sandra is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being or doing what he requires in his law. And then, of course, idolatry, which is closely related to the definition of sin, Q17. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. Um, a, a first cousin of the new city is the Westminster Catechism, and in Q24, it asks the same question, just simply, what is sin? in the Westminster Shorter. And this is what it says. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of God's law given as a rule to any reasonable creature. Uh, when you break God's law, it's sin. Uh, of course, I, uh, I will tell you uh, how... My heart this morning needs to sit at the chair, in the chair next to you, and hear all the words that I am saying this morning. Uh, my heart constantly forgets the sinfulness of sin, if I can say that. My heart always forgets the sinfulness of sin. And of course, when we start talking about the sinfulness of sin, the first adjectives that you're going to get called is puritanical, right? You're puritanical, and that's because the Puritans did what? They saw the sinfulness of sin. So speaking of the Puritans, let's go read it this morning. Praise God. Um, <laughs> um, here we go. Uh, in his book, uh, The Plague of Plagues, a little-known uh, Puritan by the name of Ralph Venning uh, in 1669 wrote um, a paragraph about sin. This is what he said. In general, sin is the worst of evils the evil of evils, and indeed the only evils. Nothing is so evil as sin. Nothing is evil but sin, as the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So neither the sufferings of this life nor of that to come are worthy to be compared as evil with the evil of sin. No evil is displeasing to God or destructive to men but the evil of sin. Sin is worse than affliction. Sin is worse than death, um, than the devil, uh, than hell. Affliction is not so afflictive. Death is not so deadly. The devil is not so devilish. Hell is not so hellish as sin is. This will help uh, to fill up the charge against its sinfulness, especially uh, as is contrary to and against the good man. The four evils I have just named are truly terrible, and from all of them, Everyone is ready to say, good Lord, deliver us. Yet none of these, nor all of them together, are as bad as sin. Therefore, our prayers should be more to be delivered from sin. And if God hear no prayer else, yet as to this we should say, we beg you to hear us, our Lord. Um, here's the thing. We are all sinners. All of us. And we're never more uh, in the throes of the ocean of secular humanism than when we deny it. Does that make sense? We are never more uh, in the massive ocean of secular humanism when we deny our sin. The, the message, the message of the Christian 
is that we are simul justus et peccator. We are at the same time sinner and saint, as Martin Luther said. And, and, and you should understand that. That's the message of Romans 7. Wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Has, has, has your sin been conquered, paid for? Yes. Uh, does it have power over you anymore? No. Does it have any claim over your life or debt? Yes, you know. Uh, but uh, the sinfulness of sin is something that uh, I constantly forget. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 9, Deuteronomy 9, 7 talks us, to us about uh, just the sinfulness of Israel. And when we read it, I see myself in it. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Listen to this. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Uh, Joshua 1.18, a very serious verse. Uh, Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Wow. Uh, There's seriousness about the sinfulness of sin. So, here we go. (coughs) Do you understand, and I've written some questions down here, and I'm just going to, as I was sort of considering all this, the application that just emerges from it, uh, if we're going to talk about ceasing sin, first of all, we know what it is. But as I began to think about it more, um, I, I just had, had to write some questions down. Uh, do you understand, first of all, we've already put this out there, uh, that the way that you believe about sin will steer the very course of your life? And she'll let that sink in. Okay. Are you aware and I, I just, I need to be sitting beside you. My wife's in here and she's just looking at me like you're a horrible human, right? Um, are you aware that the way that you view sin affects forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation in your marriage? Are you aware that your view of sin affects the way that repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation happens in your marriage. As a Christian parent, listen to this very carefully, I was most convicted about this this week, studying it, because I, 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 I began to write all the applications that were sort of flooding in my heart, right, as I'm sort of as a response to the text. And when it hit me, I was like, well, this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm horrible, right? As a Christian parent, do your children understand what sin is? Do they understand it? Do you repent to your children and therefore they can understand it? Do you uh, show it in front of them as an example to them as repentance in your own life? Do your kids know what sin is? Right? So we talked about it two weeks ago about the fact that we should hold in our hands uh, the realities that are not friendly, right? Uh, bad news in order to get good news and the judgment of God. And that was really the principles that came from the text. I and mean, that was the point of the passage. But, but likewise here, do our kids know what sin is? And I would say that an individual who sort of walks blindly to the sinfulness of sin, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe we don't want to be puritanical. Maybe we had parents who let us know 
too much about the sinfulness of sin, or maybe we didn't like the way that they went about it in our lives, and now we're reacting to such. And say, ah, no, I don't want any part of that. Or maybe we weren't really brought up with categories for it in our home at all. Right? And so our response is, well, we'll just sort of, sort of go the same way, and that the whole, um, this sort of the whole worldview or mode of our home will just be grace, 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 grace. But there can be no grace without a knowledge of sin. Grace for what? Right? So, yeah. Here's another application question. Do Christians in your world, in your workplace, see your care and concern about how your sin at work affects them? As a Christian in the workplace, do your coworkers, and man, I'm right, I'm just, the fingers of this application are just laying on me, right? Do your coworkers see your care and concern about how your own sin affects them and everybody else? Man. <clears throat> do unbelievers in your circles see a difference in you, and wonder why. Of course, it does come back to obedience. Your worldview, what sin is and isn't, your standard of right and wrong. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think before we, before we continue on, we certainly have to look, had to look at the sinfulness of sin. So the text here says this. It's a command. It says, arm yourself, Right? So it's very military in nature when you look underneath the English of it. That's sort of the connotation. The connotation is that uh, it, it, it's, it's militant, it's, it's, it's um, soldierly, if we could say that. That's, that's the idea. When we say arm yourself, that's certainly what we're talking about. It can't be 1101. It is 1101. That's the worst. Okay. <coughs> uh, arm yourselves with the, way, uh, with the same way of thinking. Um, what way of thinking is that, um, you ask? Uh, it's the way of thinking that understands the nature of sin and understands the nature of suffering, right? That understands the nature of sin and understands the nature of suffering. Peter would later write, which we'll look at later in chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same types of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So arming yourself, arming yourself is nothing but imitation. It, 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 is, it is the enterprise of you imitating the mind of Christ. When it comes out and says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, it is asking you to possess the mind of Christ that 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says that you have, um, which is very, very clear, right? Um, so that's what you're supposed to arm yourself with. You're supposed to arm yourself with a clear expectation that suffering is a part of the world, that you're going to suffer, that you live in a fallen world and you're going to suffer, uh, and that you will, for doing good, suffer, which is Peter's point in the whole passage do good, and, and you're going to suffer. And suffer in doing good, right? He says that over and over and over again. 
But, but the question begs, what else can you arm yourself with as a Christian? What else besides this uh, can you arm yourself with as a Christian? You can arm yourself with bad expectations. You can arm yourself with uh, unmet expectations. You can arm yourself with um, unbiblical promises. You can arm yourself with uh, entitlements that go as far as your flesh can imagine. You can arm yourself with, again, uh, but said in a different way, selfish expectations. You can arm yourself with the truth that suffering is not a part of your life or shouldn't be a part of your life. <laughs> What's so interesting about this passage is that the idea is that when you suffer, uh, those who suffer will cease from sinning, right? Or in other words, they're not going to be dominated by sin in their lives, right? Uh, and I thought about sin in my own life, and I thought, you know, when I, generally speaking, when I sin, um, I am, as I'm doing the sin, my worldview is so sideways, which is causing me to sin, right? And it always has to do with the fact that I'm suffering. I'm being wronged. Me. And so in my bad view of the fact that I am suffering, uh, then I take that matters into my own head. I react to that suffering. I solve that suffering, right? I do things that I shouldn't do, right? I say things that I shouldn't say. React, verbally or non-verbally, the way that I want to react. And rather than being armed with the biblical worldview of suffering, I'm only thinking about my own. Rather than the fact that, okay, A, God has called me to live holy and with a clear expectation that if I do good, that suffering comes with it. But because I'm the king of self-pity, then suffering is front and center. Except it's the wrong kind of suffering, it's my own suffering. So I say all that to say I don't arm myself with the right stuff. What do you arm yourself with on your commute? Are you begrudging from house to work, right? What, what, what message are you preaching to yourself? What does arming yourself look like? More importantly, maybe than your commute to work, maybe your commute, your commute back from work, uh, what, what are you arming yourself with in terms of, you know, this way of thinking? If I just stop for a second and look at this deer right here. See? <laughs> This is, this is the second week in a row that we've had deer close in in the middle of our sermon. I think they're coming to listen to God's will. It's been happening for a while. Oh, he's like in the backyard, like right there. Oh, man, it's great. So good. Okay. So, sorry. Squirrel. Um, so, um, I arm myself uh, with all of the wrong things. I, I, I think we could do applications to the nth degree about what we're arming ourselves with. But this, this is the thing. The truth is that she and I probably need to have a wonderful conversation about 
what we're arming ourselves with, how we see one another arming ourselves <coughs> with the things right, that we may not see, and then confessing some things that we do arm ourselves with that the other person has no idea about. Does that make sense? Like, I'm, I'm inclined to be uh, sort of, to focus on my own suffering rather than, uh, you know, sort of a biblical worldview of suffering and sin and assurance in this way, right? Uh, and, and we likewise need to have some meaningful conversations to that end, um, which I think is uh, super important. When you suffer, though, you suffer with Christ, and Christ is a conqueror of sin, right? So I, I, I think having that in mind is the fact that when you suffer for sin, you do suffer with Christ, uh, and he's the one who's already worked the whole system over, right? Um, and I think that it's important that you know that you're called to Christian suffering. Please write these references down. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel throughout the book of Acts. And in chapter 14, verse 22, in addition to preaching that gospel, it says that they strengthened the souls of the disciples and were encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, listen to their message, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. <coughs> Suffering, one commentator said, please, uh, Juan Sanchez, let's see if I got this particular quote from. Suffering accomplishes God's purposes. It exposes what or whom we are trusting and provides a platform for faithful Christian witness. Which, of course, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through chapter 3, verse 17 shows us, right? Um, we suffer, friends, because we've made a conscious decision not to sin, to come up against our own flesh, sin, Satan, and this, this, this world, right? And so the call is to uh, stop sinning. Not only know what sin is, but be committed to killing sin. We sing, sang this song um, a couple of weeks running off and on by Dustin Kinshrew. Uh, we talk about killing sin by grace and grace alone, right? Um, that includes respectable sins, right? Uh, not just the big ones, but 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 the respectable sins. Um, a, a, a great quiet time for you this week, kind of in tandem with not sinning and your own salvation and suffering, is First John. Please write this down. First John chapter three, verses four through ten. First John chapter three, verses four through ten. I'm just going to read the first two or three verses. It's going to give you what you're up for, and you'll let you do the rest by yourself. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, uh, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Right? Um, so, um, what is the last word on all of this? And the last word is one too quick, unfortunately. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, I think ties it all together uh, very beautifully. And it is uh, the last two verses 
that uh, I make our eighth graders memorize in the spring um, as a part of their Romans 8 memorization. Uh, but what, what these verses do is, is it ties together assurance, sin, suffering, salvation, all of it together, both Christ's and ours. Uh, this is what it says, Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, one more time. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the assurance, right, that you need to comfort that you walk out of here with today, where God's spirit says, you're mine, right? Bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our identification is that we suffer well, we understand the nature of sin, and we don't do it, right? Like, like that's, that's it. Um I, I, I want my kids to be raised in a house with a dad who understands the nature of his own sin and is willing to confess it. And here's the thing. My kids know that I sin, right? Unfortunately, they don't also know that I know that I sin every time. Does that make sense? Uh, and they certainly need to know it, right? Um, <coughs> um, so... Um, man, this is uh, this is a life to holy living, really. That, that's 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 what it is. And what we're going to find out in our passage next week, as, as we look at First Peter chapter four verses two through six, it's really going to get personal. It's going to say, "Hey, you know, you used to sin with your friends in all of these other ways, and now you don't do those things anymore." And verse four says, "And as a result, they malign you for it." So that's the suffering that maligning you is the suffering that you endure for not sinning, right? Uh, and then again, remember our passage several times over the last couple of chapters, it says, hey, you should suffer for doing good, but what you really should not suffer for is suffer for sinning, right? Like don't suffer for sinning, suffer for doing good. And, and that really here, uh, I think I think the message of that, uh, it, Paul, Peter is saying, some of the same things in different ways with different new principles every time. It's kind of having a case and he's building on it, building on it, building on it as he's kind of giving it to you and laying it out here. Um, here's the big problem, Christian. I feel like there are more muddy waters uh, now than there were when we started, and that, that's a problem. So uh, let me encourage you to take a look at it, read it, pray through it, make your own mind up about it, have some good conversations about it, especially, I think this application piece of uh, asking some close friends, text a friend and say, hey, look, this is what I learned about this week. What do you see me arming myself with throughout the week that's really not within a biblical worldview? Like, what? And could you help me here? You know, would you be brave enough to talk to me about it um, when it when, when when the time comes? Okay, great. Um. Okay, so I'm gonna. It's time for the Lord's table. Uh, can I ask um, Christian here? Would you all be willing to serve for us today, please? All right, I'm gonna pray for us. You guys are uh, free to take the Lord's table. I certainly encourage you to come uh, confessing uh, and come joyful. 
as you come uh, today. Okay, let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you're a good shepherd and a good teacher. And I pray that where there may be a lack of understanding today, that you would just supplement that um, uh, with uh, your good teaching. God, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd be the reminder uh, of all that we need, that you would help us to understand Scripture uh, as you convict us of our sin. God, I pray that you would remind us of of these truths throughout the week. And we thank you for your table, for the command to take it, for the goodness in it, and the joy in it, and the function of it, what it does, Lord, is it thunders out the selflessness of the king of the universe and calls us to the same. Um, Thank you that it's, its message, God, is, is one of payment for sin and rescue from sin. So God, help us to practically live in each and every day what positionally we enjoy, and that's deliverance, God. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for all these things. We pray in Jesus' Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.